You can go back to Jonah chapter 2. We've looked at this book for three messages now, and we've made our way halfway through. And today we're going to get into chapter number two. Next week we'll get into chapter number three. And then was planning to get into the last chapter next Sunday evening, but Dave Blazer, I believe, is actually going to be here with us. Is that accurate? We confirmed that? Okay, so Dave Blazer is going to be here with us next Sunday evening, so he'll be speaking uh, next Sunday evening. And so sometime in July, I'll finish up this series in the book of Jonah. As we get into chapter two this morning, I, I want to introduce this chapter by actually going back to chapter one and verse 17. If you remember the last time that we, we went through, we finished up pretty much all of chapter one, but I told you that I think verse 17 actually fits better into the beginning of chapter number two than it really does at the end of chapter number one. So I want to start this morning by looking at verse number 17 of chapter 1. So if you look at that with me, we'll read that together, and then I'm going to read a couple more verses here from chapter 2, and then we'll begin to to look at some of these things here. Verse 17 of chapter 1, it says, Now... By the way, remember what has taken place so far. Jonah has, has fled from the presence of the Lord. God had called him to go to Nineveh. He flees the presence of the Lord. He ends up down in Joppa where he gets on a ship. And uh, we have the storm that has taken place. God, Jonah tells the sailors to throw him overboard into the sea. And that is a very quick summary of what we've gone through so far. And now we come to verse 17. It says, Now the Lord has prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves, they passed over me. Now look at verse 4. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. This morning, I want to preach a message that I've entitled, Beneath the Waves, the Breath of Hope. And Jonah's prayer of repentance. Isn't it true that sometimes we feel like there's no hope? We, we have moments in our lives where, where we look at things and we look at the circumstances and, and just everything that's going on. And, and although we know there's hope, in our minds we think, I just feel like there is no hope. You know, we, we live in a world that needs hope. In fact, I'm afraid that sometimes people come to church and, and they leave church without hope. In fact, if you leave the church without hope, then you've left in a very, very sad state because the Bible gives hope. And today, as we get into this message, I want you to know that there is hope. There is hope for you today. Now, does that mean that the Bible doesn't call out, of our, call out our sin? No, no the Bible calls out, our, uh, calls out our sin. 
In fact, I think as we, as we read the Bible, as, as we look at the scriptures, we see and as we see the character of God, no doubt we're going to see things about ourselves that are wrong. We're going to see things about ourselves that, that need to be adjusted, that, that, that need to be changed. We see things about ourselves that, that don't match the expectation that God has for our lives. Certainly that's the case. But the wonderful thing about the Bible is that God will never tell us to do something or expect us to do something that we cannot do with the aid of his Holy Spirit. So God has high and he has lofty expectations. As a matter of fact, God expects perfection. How are you doing with that one? I mean, we we realize that none of us reaches that goal, but isn't that the reason why we need Christ? God shows us our imperfections. He shows us our our insufficiency. And he shows us that our only hope is Jesus Christ. That's our hope. And whether you're reading in the Old Testament or the New Testament, that's where you'll find hope. The hope is always in Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, which we're looking at this morning, everything is pointing forward. It's pointing towards a Messiah. So whether you're reading the book of Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy or any one of the books that come in the Old Testament, every single book in the Old Testament is an arrow that's pointing towards the coming of Christ. In fact, that's why Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they, the scriptures, are they which testify of me. Understand, when Christ said that, the New Testament wasn't written yet. So he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. He says, listen, the Old Testament, they are pointing towards me. It's pointing towards who I am. Sometimes we get this uh, erroneous idea that that the New Testament is about Jesus and, and the Old Testament is just about all those weird laws and strange stories. And we think, man, I'm glad I didn't live during that time. But no, the Old Testament is as much about Jesus as the New Testament because all of the Bible is about Christ. And so we look back to Jesus as New Testament believers, but Old Testament believers would look forward to the coming of the Messiah. But get this, in both cases, the emphasis is always on Jesus. It's always on Christ. It's always on Jesus. Would it surprise you then if I told you that even the book of Jonah is all about Jesus? It is. The book of Jonah is about Jesus. Do you you know how I know that? Well, because Jesus told us so. Jesus said in in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, he's speaking and he says, hey, you're looking for a sign. You're looking for validation that I am the son of God. Well, let me give you that validation that I am the son of God. And what was the validation? Well, the validation is found in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, where Jesus says this. For G- Jesus says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
We looked at that back when I was introducing in the first message, the introduction to the book of Jonah, how this book points us towards Christ. it's, It's an arrow pointing us towards Christ, just like the rest of the Old Testament. So Jesus uses Jonah as a sermon illustration in his own ministry. In fact, Jesus only referenced four prophets with his, with his mouth, only referenced four prophets during his whole ministry. He referenced Isaiah. He referenced Elijah. He referenced Elisha. And he referenced Jonah. Only four. Now, it's easy to understand why he would reference Isaiah. I mean, he's the longest writing prophet and, and, and the prince of prophets. And we can understand that. Lots of prophecy, clear prophecy about Christ in the book of Isaiah. It's easy to recognize why he might mention Elijah and Elisha. I mean, they were maybe the most prolific prophets. They were the miracle working prophets. And they were from Jesus' home area of Galilee. We can understand that maybe. But Jonah... I mean, I mean, come on, why in the world, the, the, one of the smallest Old Testament books in the Bible, why Jonah? Well, because Jonah points to Jesus. Listen, if you think, and I've said this a couple times as, as we've been going through this message, if you think the story of Jonah is simply about a guy that ran from God, got swallowed by a whale, and changed his mind, then we have a very shallow view of Jonah. The book of Jonah is so much more about God than it is actually about Jonah. See, God included the story of Jonah not to tantalize our interest, but he included the story of Jonah in the Bible so that you and I would understand some things about God that we desperately need to understand. And one of those things that we need to understand is that God is a God of hope, mercy, and grace. Our God is a God of hope, mercy, and grace. Back when we introduced this book, I told you that there were going to be some themes about God that we were going to see throughout this book. One of those themes was the sovereignty of God, and we've seen that heavily throughout chapter 1, and we continue to see it in chapter 2 as well. But as we get into chapter 2, the characteristics of God that begin to be emphasized and highlighted are his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and the hope that is found in them. See, this book helps us to understand that God does not change his mind about the things that he calls us to in life. The gifts and and the callings of God, they are without repentance. and, and, And God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. And let me just tell you, the number one plan that God has for your life is for you to trust in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But that's not all. See, that that just begins God's plan for our life. When we're born of God's spirit, when we're born again, when we're born into God's family, just like you have children that are born to you, that's not the end of it. It's just the beginning. Ava turned 11 months today. All right, she's almost a year, one month away from a year old. And, and you know what? When she was born, that was just the beginning. She's changed a lot since she, she was born 11 months ago. Well, as believers, salvation is just the beginning. 
Salvation is just the beginning of God's plan for our lives. And so with God, we are saved for a purpose. We're saved, the Bible tells us, we've seen this in the book of Ephesians, we are saved unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Simply put, God has a plan for your life. And God's plan for your life is that you would understand his word, that you would understand his plan, that you would understand his will, and that you would fulfill the very purpose for which you have been placed on this earth. And believe me, you have been placed here for a reason. You're not an oops. You're, 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 not, you're, you're not some wallflower off in the corner somewhere. You have supreme value in the will of God, and God wants you to discover what that value is. So understand this morning that there is hope for you. And we find that poignantly illustrated here in Jonah chapter 2. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to weave through the story a little bit, show you the story itself, and then, we'll, and, and then I want to give you three questions. And here are the three questions. Question number one is when and why do you pray? When and why do you pray? Would you answer, if you were to answer that question right now in your own mind, what, what would your answer be? When and why do you pray? And maybe, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I, I pray when I need to pray. Maybe some of you would pray, well, I I say, well, I pray faithfully. I pray as a matter of habit, and that's a good thing. Maybe you say, well, I I pray when things get really, really bad. That's when I pray. But but when do you pray, and and why do you pray? We're going to answer those questions this morning. Why do you pray? When do you pray? Then we're going to find out in Jonah chapter 2, when did Jonah pray, and why did Jonah pray? But, But we're also going to look at, Do you really want what you're running to? Do you really want what you're running to? And I'm going to explain that when when I get there. Do you really want what you're running to? Listen, you're either running to God or you're running away from God. And if you're running away from God, you're running to something else. And do you really want that? Do you really want what you're running to. If God's not in the forefront of your life, if God's word is not playing a big part in the decision-making of your life, if you've got your own plans, your own agenda, your your own place, your your own, you've got it all figured out, right? Do you really want that? Are you sure that's what you really want? I think what we're going to find out in Jonah chapter 2, I think you'll find out that you really don't want what you think you want. You think you want it, but, but I don't think we really want what we think we want. And we'll talk about that. And then number three, question number three we'll look at is, what is the process? Or how do I come back to God? What is the process by which anybody comes back to God? You might be here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I really do want to be in the will of God. I want to live for God. I want to be in a place where God can use me. I want to be back to a place where God is working in my life and and, and I can feel his presence in my life and and I'm doing right. How do I get back there? And I think we'll find a great template right here in Jonah chapter 2 about how to come back to God. 
So those are the three questions we're going to look at this morning. So let's begin with question number one. When and why did Jonah pray? When and why did Jonah pray? When and why does, does any of us pray? Look at Jonah chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says this. The Bible says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. The word then, it's a time term, right? Then Jonah prayed. Well, in order to find out what the then refers to, we need to go back to chapter 1 and verse number 17, which we read just a minute ago. It says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed. What's interesting about that verse is that this is the second time now, verse number 17, that this is the second time now in this short book that the Bible says that God prepared something. We've been talking about God's sovereignty and we see it here. It's almost as if Jonah was like, God, I don't want what you have for me. I don't want what your word is for me. I've got my own plan and I'm going to outrun God. But the thing about trying to outrun God is he's already at the place you're running to. So it's pretty hard. Don't play hide and seek with God. Adam and Eve learned pretty early on that that doesn't work, right? You can't hide from God. So what did God do? As Jonah's trying, attempting to run, what does God do? Well, the Bible says God prepared. The Bible says in chapter 1 that he prepared a great wind. We talked about that one already. The Bible says in chapter 2, or the end of chapter 1, that God prepared a great fish. You know that God speaks wind? God also speaks whale. Verse number 10, it says, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The Lord spake unto the fish. It, it, that's, that's incredible. God speaks wind. God speaks whale. Later on in the book, we see that God prepares a gourd. God speaks gourd. A gourd is a big vine. He also speaks worm. Next time you see an earthworm, remember that God knows that language too. But the Bible says that he prepares a worm to destroy, to destroy that gourd. What, what am I saying with all this? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that God controls his creation. He's in control of it all. He controls his creation, get this, for our good. And God will use everything at his disposal to help us in our lives. See, what's happening in the book of Jonah is that God uses wind, God uses whales, God uses plants, God uses worms. God will use anything big and small to accomplish his purpose in my life. We said back in chapter one, God is going to accomplish his purpose. And he'll use whatever he needs to use to accomplish it. And the reason why God has to use wind and whales and gourds and worms is that Jonah will not listen to God's primary voice. You say, well, what's God's primary voice? God's primary voice is his word. Remember, God has already given Jonah his word. He's told Jonah what he's supposed to be doing, where he's supposed to be going. That was the primary voice. Jonah's not listening. And now God is using everything else in his control to get the message across. Do you know that it 
God's word is the primary way that he wants to talk to you. This is the way that God wants to speak to us. But you know what happens sometimes? Sometimes we don't listen. I'm speaking about myself too. Sometimes I just don't listen. You know, we put in the earplugs, we put in the AirPods, and, and we just don't listen to God. So what does God do? Well, God has other ways to get our attention. And in the book of Jonah, he turns up the volume button with some of these circumstances in Jonah's life. And that's what's happening here in the book of Jonah. So when does Jonah pray? Well, he prays when the circumstances get really, really bad. That's when he prayed. When do you pray? See, the Bible says that he was in the belly of the fish for three days before he prayed. I don't know about you, but I think I would have prayed when I was going down the esophagus of that fish. <laughs> I mean, Jonah had all kinds of opportunities to pray. He could have prayed when he said no to God in Galilee. He could have prayed when he packed his bags to go to Joppa. He could have prayed every step of that journey to Joppa when he knew he was walking away from God. He could have prayed when he paid good money for a boat ticket to Tarshish. He could have prayed when he got on the boat. He could have prayed when the storm came. He could have prayed when the sailor said, why aren't you praying? He could have prayed when they cast him into the sea and he began to drown. There are all kinds of times that, that Jonah could have prayed, but it took the very end of the worst possible situation for him to finally pray to his God. And the question this morning is this, what situation does it take in your life for you to start praying? You know, it's, it's amazing to me the capacity of human beings to think that we have the answer to every single juncture in our lives. Well, I know better. I, I don't need God. I've got a bank account. I've got wisdom. I've got friends. I've got connections. I know people who know people. And what's it going to take for us to realize that we really need God? And running from God is an absolutely fruitless endeavor. So when did Jonah pray? Well, Jonah prayed at the very worst situation. You may say, well, well, that's a good thing, right? Well, is it? Look at verse number two. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. That's the when. Now look at the why in verse number two. And he said, so Jonah now, remember this. So we, we need to keep this in mind as we go through this. Remember that Jonah is, is writing this after the fact, right? The whole story has already taken place. It could be weeks, it could be months, or even years later, and Jonah is reflecting back on his experience here. So when, when Jonah writes this book, he, he, it's like he's going back to his mindset when he was in the belly of this whale, and he shares what he was thinking and what he was saying. This is, we could say, this is Jonah's commentary about himself during his worst time. So verse number two, it says, And he said, I cried out to the Lord. Now watch these words. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. You know what that tells me? It tells me the reason why. 
The word because, because provides us the reason. So what is Jonah saying? Jonah's saying this. Hey, when I prayed, it was really, really bad, okay? But here's why I prayed. I prayed because it was really, really bad for me. That's why I prayed. I prayed because it was my affliction. And we might ask, well, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that a good thing that that Jonah prayed? And and at face value, it maybe looks like a good thing that Jonah prayed. But as we delve deeper into the matter, the real reason why Jonah is praying at its core is actually quite selfish. He's praying because because things have gotten bad for him. Let me put it this way. Jonah isn't praying because God is hurting. Jonah is praying because he's hurting. You say, what do you mean God's hurting? Well, God's heart is focused on Nineveh. God's heart is focused on people. And we're going to discover this in a much greater way in upcoming messages, but God has a heart for people, but Jonah couldn't care less about those people. Jonah doesn't care about what God cares about. God has a heart for people, but Jonah, he he doesn't want them to be saved. He doesn't want God to show them compassion. In fact, that's why he's running in the first place. So his concern isn't God's heart. His concern is his own pain. And I wonder sometimes when we run from God, do we cry out to him because of his heart? Or are we crying out because of our own hurt? Which is quite selfish. And so we see the timing of his prayer. And now we understand the underlying reason for his prayer. By the way, take a look at verse 2 and observe how Jonah describes the Lord here. It says, And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. You notice how it's like like the Lord is just kind of a part of the conversation here? But now watch this. It continues. It says, out of the belly of Sheol, or out of the belly of hell, I cried. Hell here doesn't refer to flames and fire. It simply means the grave in this context. So in other words, when, when, when Jonah's saying, when I thought I was going to die. That's how we would say it in, in, our, uh, in our vernacular today. When I thought I was going to die, when I thought I was on the verge of destruction, watch this. It says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. And you. See, see at the beginning of the verse, Jonah says, I cried, and yeah, he heard me. Remember now, Jonah is writing this for us. The, the book of Jonah, he's writing this. He, he, he's writing, he said, yeah, I prayed. I cried to God. He heard me when I was almost dead. He says, you heard me. Maybe I'm making too much of this, but I, but I, think, I think what Jonah does here, it's almost like Jonah, as, as, as he's thinking about what he's saying here, as he's thinking about what he's writing down here, he begins to personalize it. Lord, 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 you did this for me. See, a key in prayer is when prayer becomes personal, right? 
A key in prayer is not just knowing things about God. It's not just knowing the things that, that God can do. It's not just knowing characteristics of God that, that's true. That's, that's all well and good, but, but, the, but prayer is, is meaningless until prayer becomes personal. It's like, God, you did this, and God, you did that. God, I'm recognizing who you are. So we see the when of his prayer and the why of his prayer. He's praying pretty selfishly, but then he realizes, God, I'm selfish. You're not. And God, I, I'm wayward, but you're not. And, and God, I'm, I'm fickle, but, but you're not. I think what we're beginning to see here is we're beginning to see a change in the narrative and a change that's beginning to take place in the heart of Jonah. As he's beginning to turn his eyes upon the Lord. He's turning his eyes upon Jesus. But get this. Not only do we see his affliction, Jonah's affliction in the why, we also see Jonah's reflection in the why. What do I mean by reflection? Well, here's, here's, here's something really interesting. You don't necessarily get this at surface reading, but what's really interesting about these verses, verses 1 through 4, is that Jonah is praying, and he's actually quoting Scripture. Jonah's quoting Scripture here. Did you know that? In Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, what Jonah is actually doing is quoting Scripture. So what does that tell me? Well, that tells me that Jonah, in his darkest moment, is being ministered to by the Scripture that he already knows. You know, that's why it's important that we know and we understand God's Word. That's why it's important that we memorize Scripture. That's why it's important that we meditate upon God's Word. Why? Because in our, dar in our darkest moment, when we are in a place where that, that we shouldn't be, and, and there's a Bible that maybe you should have, but you don't, because who carries Bibles into whales' bellies? You know what God can do? God can bring those things that we've learned and that we memorized back into our hearts and back into our minds and remind us of his goodness as he ministers to us through his word. How did he do that in Jonah's life? Well, look at it. Look at verse two again. He said, and, he, and, and Jonah said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me. That's the first thing Jonah said. Okay, now listen to this. Psalm 18, verse 6. If you want to turn there real quick, you can. We're going to look at a few psalms. Psalm 18, verse 6. By the way, the psalms, these psalms were written by David, and they're written about 250 years before Jonah ever lived. Right? So Jonah knew these psalms. Jonah read these psalms. Jonah was a man of God, a prophet for many years. Jonah would have read these many times. Now watch what happens. Psalm 18, verse 6. Here's what David says. David says, in my distress, by the way, what's a synonym for distress? Affliction. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God, and he heard my voice. What is Jonah doing? Jonah's saying, hey, David got himself in a bad situation. David was running. David ran from God, and he did. 
Remember, he ran to Achish. He made a really bad choice running from Saul and thinking, God, you can't care for me, so I have to care for myself. That's when David wrote this psalm. And what is Jonah saying? Jonah saying, God, there have been other people that have been your servants that have run, and they've made bad decisions, and they've run far, far away from you. But when they got into those tough spots, they called on you, and you heard them. And God, if you did it for them, do it for me. I think that's what Jonah's thinking here. You know what the Bible is in part? In part, the Bible is a book where God says, I did it for them, and I'll do it for you. It's one of the reasons why God gave us a Bible, that we can take their example, that we can understand that if God can answer their prayers, he can answer our prayers. James tells us that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed. That's the illustration that that James uses in James chapter 5, that God answered Elijah's prayers, and he's just like you. He's just like me. He's a man that gets caught up and has the same passions as you do. He gets hungry. He gets tired. He deals with temptation just like you do. The only difference between Elijah and me is that Elijah prays, and sometimes I don't. And so we need to learn to pray. So what's the point? Well, the point is Jonah's reflecting. Listen to this verse. That was Psalm 18.6. How about this verse? Psalm 31, verse 22. Psalm 31, verse 22. Here, the context of this verse, David is, is running from Absalom. His own son is trying to take over the kingdom. David's an old man. He's not running from Saul anymore. That was earlier on. He's running from Absalom. And here's what David writes to God when he's running from Absalom. Psalm 31, 22. For I said in my haste, by the way, have you ever said something in haste? Ever said something that you you regretted later because you just spoke too quickly? We all have. And, and, And David says, let me tell you something stupid that I said when I spoke too quickly. Here's what he said. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. David says, I said something really dumb when bad times came in my life. I said, God, you don't even see me anymore. God, are are you even there? God, you, you can't see me. Here I am, not in Jerusalem anymore. My own son's taken over. God, are you even there? And David admits that he says those words out loud and acknowledges that he was wrong, but watch what he continues to say. For in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. Now look at Jonah 2, verse 4. Jonah says, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. What is Jonah doing? Jonah's quoting scripture. Jonah's saying, God, David felt this way. 
And David said some stupid things, and and God, I've been stupid, and and, and I've been dumb, and I've said things that, like, I I don't even want to see you, and and I don't want to hear from you. Remember, Jonah chapter 1 tells us that Jonah was running from the presence of God. He was trying to get away from God being able to see him. It, It literally means that he didn't want to see the face of God. But God... Jonah's now saying, here I am in this situation. And I know I should have prayed way before now, but here I am. And oh God, can you hear me? Oh God, will you hear me? God, will you hear me? God, you will hear me because scripture tells me so. He's reflecting. Not only do I see Psalm 18.6, Psalm 31.22, and we can go on and on, but let me give you one other one. Psalm 42. Psalm 42, if you know anything about Psalm 42, it's probably the psalm that describes David's deepest depression. He uses words like, I'm cut off. God, you have forgotten. He says things like, I can't stop crying. I can't get it together. My soul is cast down. I am depressed. I am disquieted. Basically, I've got a million things going on in my mind, God. And in the middle of all of that, Watch what he says, Psalm 42, verse 7. David says this. David says, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Now, wait a minute. David's not a sailor. David's not out on a boat sailing to Tarshish paying a boat fare. But when David described how he felt, when he described the situation he was in, he said, God, it's like I'm in the ocean. It's like I'm trying to to come up for air, and every time I try to come up for air, the next wave crashes down over me. God, what are you doing? That's what David says. And now here's Jonah in the belly of the fish, saying, yeah, David, I know what that feels like, literally. That's what's happening to me. All the waves, all the billows, God, you are using all of your creation to teach me things, and I should be learning and listening. You see, it's a time of affliction for Jonah, but it's also a time of reflection. And can I just say this to you? Are you in a time of affliction in your life? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. God's trying to teach you something through that affliction. Affliction ought to bring us to a place of reflection. What verse is God teaching you? What part of of God's character are, are, are you missing? Listen. Learn to listen to God through times of affliction. So I see the when and the why. And I think we also see a wow here. We've also kind of, we've kind of highlighted that as Jonah transitions from an impersonal reference to God to becoming personal. You, God, you have done this. God's no longer a third-party person in his life. And he shouldn't be a third-party person in our lives either because he has a plan for us. He knows everything about us. He knows exactly where we are. Quit saying he and start saying you. 
and you're going to see things begin to change. So number one, the when and why do you pray? Number two, and if you're looking at your clocks, number two and three are much shorter than number one, okay? Number two, the question we're asking is, do you really want what you're running to? Do you really want what you're running to? Look at verse four. It says, then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Jonah says, God, here's what I'm going to do. God, I'm going to look to your holy temple. But ever thought, how's he going to do that? He's in the belly of a whale, right? All I'm seeing is a gallbladder and a liver. How am I going to look toward, at, at God's holy temple? And, and, and remember, in, in Old Testament understanding, to look to the temple was to look to God. In the Old Testament, to look to the temple was to look to God. God met with man at the holy of holies, at the mercy seat, or, or the Shekinah glory of God. So in Jonah's day, that was Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. So every Jew, every Jew would pray. He would turn himself toward Jerusalem. If, if I pray three times a, t- a day like Daniel did, then what would I do? Well, I would find a window in my house and, and, and I would orient myself towards Jerusalem. And I'd open that and, and, I, and I'd pray. That's what Daniel did. Or I'd find some spot out in the wilderness and I'd kneel down and I'd pray toward God. I want to pray towards God. I want to be facing God when I pray. By the way, three times a year as a good, faithful Jewish person, in order to honor God, they would travel to Jerusalem. They had traveled for the Feast of Passover, for the Feast of Pentecost, and for the Feast of Tabernacles, three times a year. And there, at the Holy Temple, what would they do? They would participate in worship, in time of prayer. So what did Jonah do probably his whole life? Well, three times every day, he looked towards God. He would pray, God, I need you. God, I need you. And, and then three times every year, he'd go to Jerusalem. God, I need you. God, I worship you. God, I take time out of my busy schedule to say you are the most important. Three times a day, three times a year. But yet it took Jonah three days in the belly of a whale to realize that God is still here and he can still pray to him. By the way, we have something better than a temple. We have Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he spoke of the temple of his own body. See, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, your own body became a temple, and God came to live inside your body through his Holy Spirit. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to figure out the direction that Jerusalem is, which is good for some of us because we probably shouldn't pray because we couldn't figure that out, right? I don't know which direction Jerusalem is from here. But I can pray wherever and whenever. Question number two, quickly, do you really want to go where you're going? You may say, I don't even know where I'm going. Yeah, but you're not going towards God. Do you really want that? Where are you going? What is it you're looking for in Tarshish? What are you looking for? It's interesting, the Bible never tells us what Jonah was going to do in Tarshish. I mean, what are you going to do, Jonah? 
You're going to lay out on the beach. You're going to get another job. You're going to join a witness protection program. What what are you going to do, Jonah, when you get to Tarshish? He hadn't really thought through that, probably. You see, when you run from God, it really doesn't make a difference what you do. Whether you're successful or or unsuccessful, whether you make money or don't make money, whether you have fun or, or don't have fun, it makes no difference because you're out of the will of God. And do you really want to be in a place where God's not there? Now, obviously, that's impossible, but that's what Jonah was striving for. He was trying to run from God, and guess what happened? When he got to the place of death, Look at verse 5. He says, The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Can you, can you picture Jonah here trying to struggle to get some air, to, to get loose from the weeds? I mean, he, he's dying here. Verse 6, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Jonah says, I'm going down to the bottom of the ocean. The pressure is crushing me. The Bible says that the earth with her bars is a symbol of the gates of death. And so Jonah's saying that he feels like he's dying. He says, I'm in the death chamber. That's what he's saying. I'm going to die. Look at the end of verse number six. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Well, wait a minute. Jonah, I, 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 thought, I thought that's what you wanted. I, I thought your whole purpose for running from, from God was to get away from his presence. Jonah was saying, God, I don't want you in my business. I don't want to hear your voice. I don't want to do what God has called me to do. I I want to do it my way. I'm going this way to get away from God, Jonah said. And guess what Jonah did? He got away from God. And when he got as far away from God as he possibly could, what did he want? He wanted God. That's what he wanted. God, I've been running from you. And now everything I'm doing is falling apart. And I really want to hear you. I really want to hear you. And I want you to hear me. I, di- I didn't want you to see me before, but God, I want you to see me now. See what's happening? Here's the point about sin. You get what you want. You get what you want. But do you want to pay the fare? Go wherever you want. Want to go to Tarshish? Go to, go to Tarshish. You want to go towards Joppa? Go, go towards Joppa. You can get what you want, but you will, you will not want what you got. See, that's the insidious nature of sin. You can get what you want. There is pleasure in sin for a season. You can get what you want, but you will not want what you got. 
when we get to the place where we realize this was a bait and switch, this was a devil's bait and switch, I thought I was getting something, but I've got some major buyer's remorse. Let me tell you something. God will be there at the checkout counter and he won't be saying, I told you so. He'll be saying, come on, come to me. Listen to me this morning. Even beneath the waves, there is hope. You might be grasping for your last breath, but there is hope. If your if, if breathing is not too late. The when and the why. Do you really want where you're going? And then we conclude with this. What is the process by which one then comes back to God? How do I return to God? Would you look please in closing at verse number seven? How do I return to God? Because Jonah did. He said this in verse seven. He says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. By the way, that means, that doesn't just mean that he thought of God. It means he acknowledged him. It's not an, oh yeah, God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying saying, it's a conscious decision. I made a conscious decision to acknowledge God. Listen, there is nobody in this room who doesn't know there's a God. You know there's a God. In your heart of hearts, you know it. But knowing there's a God and acknowledging there's a God are two totally different things. So Jonah says, I acknowledge you, Lord. I remember you. Look back at verse 7. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Now, Jonah didn't know that when he prayed. This is why I said we're, kinda, we're getting some com- commentary here. All right? When Jonah prayed, did he know at that instant that God heard his prayer? I don't think so. God hadn't answered him yet. So Jonah's giving us some commentary here of, of what's going on. He says, my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. He knows that now. He, he, he's writing this later, and he says, Lord, it worked. You listened. He didn't know it at the time. All he knew was that I'm desperate, and God, uh, here I am. I, I'm dying. That's all he knew then. Look at verse number eight. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. So what's the Bible saying here? The Bible's simply saying this, that the empty plans you make in your life The empty plans that you pursue, they're all a lie. And the lie is that you're going to be satisfied. The lie is that it's going to work out for you when you attempt to do things your way instead of God's way. The lie is that your plans are better than God's plans. That's the lie. And as long as you believe that lie, you are saying no to the mercy that God wants to give to you. Do you know when God wanted to give Jonah mercy? I think God would have given Jonah mercy when he took the first step, the wrong direction. When he took the second step, the fifth step, the tenth step, the hundredth step, the millionth step. God was there to provide mercy. He wanted to give him mercy every step of the way. But Jonah wouldn't take the mercy of God because Jonah had a better plan. Or at least he thought he did. And as long as Jonah believes, hey, my way is better than God's way, he's living a lie. It's self-deception. 
And as long as you believe your own lies, you'll never believe God's truth. Verse number nine, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. God, I've learned. I'm coming back to you. I'm gonna worship you. I'm gonna praise you. I'm gonna serve you. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah says, I know you're my only hope, God. You're my only hope. Verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. How do I return to God? Let me read this and I'm done. One, get to the end of yourself. Get to the end of self. If you want to come back to God, you need to reach the end of yourself. And let me tell you, that's usually not a single event. That's that's not a single event. It's often a process. Just like with the prodigal son, he had to hit rock bottom before before he truly saw himself. For Jonah, it started with admission in chapter 1, verse 9, which moved to submission in chapter 1, verse 12, where he said, okay, my life is a mess. Just get rid of me. By the way, I'm I'm not putting a positive on what Jonah was trying to do there because he was trying to basically commit suicide. But, but he did come to, come to a point where, where he had to surrender himself. He had to surrender his plans. Remember, he who loses his life shall find it. You have to be willing to let go of your own desires and your own selfishness. There was an admission. There was a submission. There was also a contrition in the life of Jonah we find in chapter 2. Jonah expressed sorrow. He expressed repentance, saying, God, I'm sorry, you're right, I'm wrong. We also see a pattern of petition or the element of petition here in the life of Jonah. He cried out to God for help. Oh God, please help me. Number two, see God as your only option. I can't highlight this one enough. Salvation is solely from the Lord. It's not a result of both the Lord and you. Salvation is entirely from the Lord. Jonah emphasizes that in verse nine. Listen, no one has truly repented until they have acknowledged that there is nothing within themselves that can possibly earn them favor with God. And no one has ever been saved unless they have approached God solely on the basis of the sacrifice that he alone has provided. And Jonah says that at the end in verse nine, salvation is, is of the Lord, and Jonah found salvation. Finally, number three, determined to obey him, and that's exactly what Jonah did. This wasn't just a foxhole confession in a moment of desperation. It seemed like it from the beginning, but as we come to the end, we see that that's not what this was. It was Jonah genuinely coming to God. It was a true, can we say it this way, come to Jesus moment. Lord, I've learned the hard way. I should have known better. Out of all the people, I should have known better. But God, I finally understand. Your way is the best way. I will serve you. I will praise you. I will keep my word. God, I now comprehend that it's all about you. I finally get it. The Bible tells us that as soon as Jonah had this moment, God spoke to the fish Remember, he speaks to whales. God spoke to the fish. He said, okay, fish. And the whale spit Jonah out. 
No doubt it wasn't a very pretty picture because being vomited out by a whale is not pretty, I'm sure. But you know what is beautiful? Obedience. It was beautiful in Jonah's life and it can be beautiful in your life too. Chapter two of Jonah serves as a powerful reminder of hope. Despite being plunged into the depths of misery inside the fish, Jonah experienced the unwavering mercy of God in the midst of all his suffering. And he realized that even though he had turned away from God, God had not abandoned him, despite appearances that may have suggested otherwise. And let me tell you this morning, there is hope for each and every single one of you too, if you will turn back to God. Father, we thank you. We thank you that there's